Welcome to the Asbury First United Methodist Church Weekly Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Jackie Nelson. For more information about this podcast or for other ways to connect, please visit asburyfirst.org. I read recently that God is not afraid of our inquiries, that the question we must ask ourselves is whether we are afraid of theirs. The book of Jonah begins and ends with God speaking. In the beginning, God gives Jonah an assignment, and in the end, God asks Jonah a question. And in that space in between, we get the opportunity to eavesdrop on God and Jonah's dialogue or debate about turning towards Nineveh and proclaiming what thus saith the Lord. Now I'm personally intrigued by the tension that exists between the assignment God gives and the question God asks. Not just the specifics of either one per se, but also the fact that we have a God who both commands and questions, who gives specific instructions and who also grants us space for inquiry, a God who is both intentional about making their own desires clear while also being intentional about asking us how we feel. Now friends, many will argue that God's questions to Jonah near the beginning and end of chapter four are meant to reprimand him. Some will suggest that the questions are open-ended or rhetorical in order to suggest that God is not as concerned with Jonah's response as they are with emphasizing that God's decisions are all that matters. And still others will suggest that God's questions invite each of us to confront our own hearts, to compel us to turn our gaze on ourselves, our hearts, and our motivations. And today, I want us to sit with the latter, to consider what if God's questions are less of an indictment and more of an invitation. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? God is not afraid of our inquiries. So the question we must ask ourselves is whether we are afraid of theirs. What if, friends, God's questions are less of an indictment and more of an invitation, an invitation to sit with what lingers, a call to turn inward and examine our own thoughts and emotions, an act of care meant to give each of us permission to feel. An invitation after four chapters of dialogue about Jonah's call and Nineveh's complex history, and after four weeks of dialogue about our call in light of Rochester's history, to perhaps wrestle, to wrestle with that infamous question, where do we go from here? to leave the questions open-ended and without response or neat solution so as to invite the hearer into dialogue about what's next. To remind us, friends, that sometimes the next step is in wrestling with some important questions, ones we are comfortable with and ones we are not.
And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city? I think we can all agree that this is the more comfortable question to consider. After all, had it not been for the grace and mercy of God in our lives, where would we be? As people of faith, we know from firsthand experience that God is concerned about all of God's people. In fact, people are often the ones who try to limit the scope of God's love, not God. The Bible reminds us over and over again about the expansive nature of God's love, a love that breaks down barriers, that builds broken bonds, and that bridges the gaps we create. We know for ourselves that whereas people often take liberties to dismiss God's people, it was God who looked at all of their creation and declared it all as good. You see, where people have deemed some of us as unworthy, God has declared over and over again that we are all indispensable. This means, friends, that the capacity of God's love far outweighs and supersedes that of humans, and for that we say thank you. This question about God's concern for Nineveh gives us space then to think together and thank God for the many ways in which we are saved from ourselves, offered multiple chances, and ultimately blessed by measures of forgiveness that look beyond our faults and see our needs and of a love that covers a multitude of sin. This question about God's concern for Nineveh gives us space to remember that we serve a God who never leaves us or forsakes us and is quick to forgive us, that there is nothing in this world that can separate us from God's love, that what humankind calls unclean, God calls their own, that God's grace, mercy, and love are available to us all, those that we think deserve it and those we think do not. Thank God, friends, that God's capacity for love outweighs and supersedes our bias and prejudice. Now it's a little bit easier to wrestle with those questions we presumably already know the answer to. But the gift of this text is that we are also being invited to wrestle with those that we aren't as sure about, the ones that make us uncomfortable. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Now, friends, we don't talk enough about anger. In fact, most conversations about anger encourage us to minimize the feeling or to mask it altogether. We hear the Lord's question, is it right for you to be angry? And we immediately assume the answer is no, or that the most traditional interpretations of this text are the only interpretations worth exploring. We hear the Lord's question, is it right for you to be angry? And we use it as a weapon to blame victims, to belittle the experiences of the oppressed, and to embolden oppressors, to suggest somehow that there is no room or necessity for anger, that somehow a person's anger is more destructive than the actions, attitudes, and assumptions that led to that anger in the first place, that a person's anger at their situation is more violent than the systems, structures, policies, and procedures that led to that posture of anger in the first place. We tell people who are victim to poverty and oppression not to be angry. We tell people who watch their loved ones die at the hands of police brutality that their anger is an inappropriate response. 
We suggest to black Americans that their anger is uncalled for while they continue to navigate the very systems that seek to destroy them. We suggest to oppressed groups and persons like Jonah that anger towards their oppressors and enemies is unrighteous. We assume that in the divine's inquiry about Jonah's anger, that the divine is silencing him. But perhaps, friends, this is because we don't talk enough about anger. Instead, we run from it. We mask it. And instead, we engage in toxic positivity, which is that excessive and ineffective overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state across all situations. But at the end of the day, friends, Jonah has every right to be angry. Womanist Bible scholar Valerie Bridgman in her essay on Jonah in the Africana Bible challenges us to wrestle with this assumption that the answer to the Lord's question is no. She writes the dissonance of such an answer wars against impulses of survival. She says Jonah is sent on a mission that effectively aids and abets an enemy in the destruction of his own culture and peoples that he has every right to be angry. But then Bridgman invites us to consider the question, how does anger factor into justice making, evangelization, and reconciliation? In other words, friends, when engaging the story of Jonah from the perspective of African Americans and other groups of people, we have a responsibility to wrestle with his anger and not to wish it away. For people who have been wronged and continue to be wronged, anger is an appropriate response. And today, I just want us to normalize anger, to be willing to sit with it, to confront it and then to consider how we are going to use it. So friends, let me pause here to remind you about our theme for this month. This month, as we've attempted to tell some of the stories of the history of Black Rochester, which is simply the history of Rochester period, we've considered this biblical narrative from the perspective of what it might mean for us as a collective to pause our attempts to look at the injustices happening everywhere else around the globe and to instead look closer to home. We've considered together how the evils of racism permeate this city we call home and our own tendencies to like Jonah turn and face in the opposite direction when God calls us to see the truth before us. And so today, as we culminate this Black History Month series, but remain committed to facing the truth about our racist past and present, I am inviting us to consider this. After centuries of racism, and after four weeks of listening to more stories about just how horrific the demon of white supremacy is, is there not room for anger? Isn't it past time for us to be angry? And see, I know that this is uncomfortable because, well, we don't talk enough about anger, but we need to. 
And let me be clear that the anger I'm naming here is what Audre Lorde calls a powerful source of energy serving progress and change. It's what she says is loaded with information and energy. It's what she calls a grief of distortions between peers and whose object is change. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? A rhetorical question to Jonah, perhaps, as an invitation to sit with what lingers. A call, perhaps, to turn inward and examine our own thoughts and emotions. An act of care meant to give us permission to feel. And friends, what we believe about God and what our theologies say about who God is will certainly dictate how we treat others. Because if we see God's inquiries as something to fear or as only an indictment against us, then we will probably be equally as quick to dismiss the inquiries of others and continue to push people further away from the faith. We will continue to suggest to others that we cannot question God or that what we have been taught about God doesn't need to be questioned. And we will send the message that we serve a God who is only interested in issuing commands. And I don't know about you, but I take comfort in knowing that God also makes space for questions. That God is not like the dictators of this world and actually cares about how I feel. That God not only issues calls and commands, but also creates space for inquiry and invitation. Invitation in this moment for us to sit with what it means to be angry at and in the face of injustice. An invitation for us to consider how we will use it to advocate for and pursue change. Valerie Bridgman goes on to suggest that the book of Jonah perhaps ends so ambiguously, so as to suggest that the conversation is not to be had with the deity per se, but within the global human community where humans are challenged to affect the change they desire. She challenges us to see that anger provides energy so that we might engage in analysis, protest, survival, and justice, something that moves us toward an effective use of power. And I know it's much easier to receive neat answers and solutions that tell us what to do next. But friends, what if God's task for us today is to see the ambiguous ending of Jonah as an opportunity to dialogue with one another? And to start here at home. Yeah, in Rochester more generally, but here at Asbury first. Why don't we start here by having those conversations where we challenge one another to affect the change we desire, where we wrestle with that question, where do we go from here, by doing like Dr. King says and recognizing where we are now, where we get comfortable with naming our anger and letting it nudge us towards change. I'll start. In an attempt to recap these last few weeks, let me be the first to say I'm angry. As I sit with the lie of the Rochester mystique and the realities of redlining, restrictive covenants, and racist politicians, I'm angry. 
I'm angry because of the truth about government-created ghettos, intentional discrimination, and bigotry. I'm angry because of the prioritization of policing black bodies over meeting the basic neighborhood needs of black communities. I'm angry. I'm angry at the forcing of black children into classroom closets because of the preference for segregated schools in Rochester. I'm angry at the realization that what ended de jure continues de facto today. I'm angry. I'm angry at the ways segregation exists today in housing, education, and our houses of worship. But friends, I'm also angry at the suggestion that integration come at the expense of black people. I'm angry at the inclination to expect black people to accept attempts at diversity that don't actually address the ways in which whiteness is the preferred option. I'm angry. I'm angry that in 2023, police brutality, poverty, and oppressive policies still exist. And I'm angry at the ways patriarchy prioritizes heteronormativity and cis normativity and seeks to silence all who identify with the LGBTQ community. I'm angry. And friends, I hope you're angry too because it's going to be that powerful source of energy that will move us forward. Not a way as Jonah did to sit in the shade and wait to see what becomes of the city, but to join alongside the work that God is already doing and being concerned about the city. Because the truth is, friends, God is already at work. So where do we go from here? We go forward with energy forward with an anger that encourages us to do something, to perhaps finish our current church read of 400 souls and to begin a new one, to host conversations with local black artists, writers, activists, and leaders, to recognize the work of our racial justice advocacy team in undertaking an audit of Asbury First, and to commit to commit as individuals to the hard work of confronting white supremacy in our own lives. We go forward with energy knowing that the work to which we have been called is far from easy, but thanking God that we do not go at it alone. So friends, on this first Sunday of Lent, a season of fasting, repentance, and preparation for Easter, a season of self-examination and reflection, what better time than now? To repent and reflect with the same measure of urgency that Nineveh did in the story of Jonah. To take a hard look at ourselves individually and collectively and to confront the ways in which we have been Nineveh too. And then to be courageous enough to name our anger understanding that righteous anger is consistent with the Jesus in whom we believe. And so friends, as you've heard it said from this pulpit many times before, the promise of the gospel is that what is, is that what is, is not what has to be. Things actually can change. And as we lean into this promise of hope, Hope, as Augustine says, has two daughters, anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain as they are. May we move forward with renewed energy to turn toward that city 
to get a little closer to home and to see ambiguous endings as invitations to ask ourselves, where do we go from here? May it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Asbury First Weekly Sermon. If you enjoyed this message, please visit asburyfirst.org and learn more about our mission to love God and neighbor, to live fully, to serve all, and then repeat.